part of the reason I think we are so attracted and addicted to the megalomedia machine is the unbelievable nature of what we're witnessing. The unbelievable nature of Russia attacking Ukraine. The unbelievable nature of the stock market volatility. The unbelievable nature of $7 gasoline. What is financial sobriety? Well, first, I'm Jim Gebhardt. Oh, I'm Matthew Grishman. That's good. We should introduce ourselves. And this podcast is all going to be about three relationships that really, when you stop and you think about them, you don't think they go together. But it's your relationship you have with money. It's a relationship you have with people who mean the most to you. And ultimately, the relationship you have with yourself. So I might imagine that those three relationships are somewhat wrapped together. That when one gets a little out of whack, perhaps it has an effect on the others. Stick around and you'll find out. We left you hanging pretty good on the last episode of Financial Sobriety. We spent a lot of time talking about how our emotions can just sweep us away and we can get so caught up into believing that our emotions are really what's going on. To be able to just be with our emotions without getting swept away, there's a gift in that. And in this episode, we're going to get into that gift and show you how that gift can be the solution you've been looking for your whole life. What's the gift in all of this? And what I also want to talk about here is this word truth. Both sides of the divisive conversation claims the word truth. Is it possible that there can be two truths? Well, hell no. <laughs> Let's think back to our big epic night in New York. The way you experienced that night versus the way I experienced that night was a little bit different. Like when we think back on that night and we talk about, you know, leaving the club at 4 a.m. and the pizza and we remember it a little differently. When Amy and I talk about that day in 2005, we both remember the experience of me being in the bathroom and having that holy shit moment that we're out of money. But she remembers it differently than I do. Does that mean one is right and one is wrong? When I wrote the book Financial Sobriety, Regina, one of our publishers, said, you know, I would be really interested to interview Amy and to hear what her experience was like, because I bet it's a completely different perspective than yours. I would 100% love to hear that, too. Yeah, she won't do it. I've asked her a thousand times. She won't do it. I keep asking her. She won't do it. But when Amy sat down last Saturday and cracked the binding of Financial Sobriety, the book, for the very first time— the very first comment or feedback she had for me was, it's really hard for me to read that part. Why is that, honey? Partly because of my own vanity, and the world knows something about me perhaps I wasn't comfortable sharing. But I also experienced it differently than you did. I don't remember the yelling and the arguing and the crying. To me, it just wasn't as big of an event as it was for you. Maybe because I trusted you. And I knew we'd figure this out. And I said, that's kind of funny, because ironically, what got me through that was that I trusted you. And you were the one who said, okay, here's how it's going to be. Yeah, I don't remember that. So when Amy tells, if she were to ever tell the story of that day before I came to visit you, and I tell the story, you're going to get two very different 
versions of the story? Is it possible that they could both be truth? Undeniably, yes. Yeah. This brings me to a documentary that was on HBO in 2007 called To Die in Jerusalem. What the documentary was about was two moms. I've talked about this on the show before, but very vague references to this. So I, I got curious yesterday, and I actually Googled this and found the documentary and watched it. And what you've got is an Israeli mother and a Palestinian mother who both lost daughters in the same bombing explosion. The Israeli mom's daughter was in working in this grocery store. The Palestinian daughter, well, that kind of gives away the punchline, but the Palestinian woman's daughter was the bomber. So what they did was they brought these two moms together via satellite so they could talk to each other. I had a recollection that they did this in person, but they didn't. It was, it was done via satellite. And a lot of the conversation was finger-pointing. You oppress us. You invade us. You don't think you're a victim. No, you're a victim. But for just a few moments, even though the two narratives were completely different and very much blaming one another, the two women were able to connect on this idea of being mothers who lost children. And the amount of sympathy that was able to go back and forth for just a few minutes at a time, to me, just screamed foundation, connection. We have more in common than we have different. But can it be possible that an Israeli mom and a Palestinian mom could both have the truth in their narrative? Undeniably, yeah. That's where we're so off base. I think that's the gift in everything that we've been talking about as it relates to all the chaos and all the division that's happening in our world today. The gift in all of this is less stress on our systems, less stress on our bodies. That's, I mean, I, I love the, the prelude there in terms of that documentary and, and how powerful that, that had to be to watch. So emblematic today, to me, of how we've gotten to where we are with this this constant rancor against the other. Yes. It's gone past disagreement. It's gone to hatred. It's a divisiveness that's gone to hatred. And we see it everywhere in our world. I mean, we, we started the last episode with this. this. All the division that we see, I mean, we were talking about the challenges in the world, but let's get very specific about the divided nature of the world that we live in today. We've got the crisis in Ukraine. As much as I believe Russia is in the wrong, not Russia, Putin, the government of Russia is in the wrong, and certain people who support the Russian government, what blows my mind is the fact that Putin's belief that he's in the right and he is the truth is as convicted as my belief that he's in the wrong. That he's in the wrong. Yeah. So for just a moment— That's where all the world's greatest conflicts come from, is from the, the conviction of my beliefs. Right. Right. So how, how do you solve that problem when you've got equal opposing conviction? You go to war. Boy, that's a crappy solution. I know. I'm, and but I, that's the I, solution that we've been— we're, we're thousands of years into it, and, I, and I'm not suggesting that by any means is the solution. But that has been our solution. That and, has been the solution. And there's no way that you and I have any control over whether that happens. So it's very easy to just check out from it, to feel completely powerless over it. But if we can look at the war in Ukraine, the division that exists in the American political system, right, Democrats versus Republicans— 
the societal differences between the haves and the have-nots? How about the race relations in the world? The gender relations in the world? I mean, everywhere you look, go into our communities, within churches, within organizations, the divisiveness that exists today. And the solution for thousands of years has been war. As powerless as we are over that, I believe there's a difference that we can make starting with that relationship with self. Well, because everything you just described there feels very overwhelming. And I feel a sense of powerlessness. Yeah. I feel a sense of hopelessness. I want to listen to all of those different conflicts like I want to... Sure. A colonoscopy. Absolutely. So knowing that there's hopelessness when we think about those conflicts and the only solution is death and destruction... How can we create our own reality based on the stuff we talked about in the last episode, right? Handling all the feelings and emotions we have with this and detaching from them in a way, becoming more of a spectator rather than a participant where we allow those feelings to consume us and sweep us away. The gift in being able to separate from those emotions is the way we start finding hope again, because it's not going to come from the leadership above. I mean, look behind you right now. Is anybody coming? Go go outside in the parking lot. Is anybody coming to save the day? Nobody's coming. Batman. Right? Yeah, I wish. You're, you're Batman. Superman. You're Superman. It's up to us. And I believe this financial sobriety community that we've created is a place that each individual can make a decision on how they choose their own reality as it relates to other people, other opinions, other viewpoints. And that's ultimately the gift in all of this. When I listen to you talk about this, I think about the concept of leadership. And I think about what I believe is an absolute void of leadership. And that I, I know in my own way, I'm craving it at a really, really, really deep level. Yeah. Not in terms of somebody coming to save me, but a leader that can help identify and lead us out of this period, this hatred, is a uniter, is not the extremism, mm-hmm. but someone that can be in the middle, be in the middle as as a uniter. Because part of the reason I think we are so attracted and addicted to the megalomedia machine is the unbelievable nature of what we're witnessing. The unbelievable nature of Russia attacking Ukraine. The unbelievable nature of the stock market volatility, the unbelievable nature of $7 gasoline, the unbelievable nature of a bunch of billionaires arguing over a game and how those that have devoted their life and committed themselves to trying to be the best at be it. the best at it and defy all the odds of them being able to achieve it to give them at least a livable wage right relative to the money that is being made off of the backs of their arms and legs and skills and talents and speed. That leader ain't coming, brother. I understand. And that's ultimately where I'm going is that 
it has to be the mirror. I have to look in the mirror, and while that leader doesn't exist and isn't necessarily coming, there's a sense of overwhelm that comes with that. There's a sense of dread that comes with that. Yes. Because it feels hopeless to think that we're going to live in this constant state of you're right, I'm wrong, hatred for eternity. Well, and so what yeah. can I do? Because I'm, I'm someone that has to have hope. I, like our dear friend Glenn, I, I need a sense of hope to be able to go out and slay the dragons that we slay on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Sure. You, you came in slaying some dragons when you came into studio for last session. Yeah. And you were feeling overwhelmed. Well, because when you're out trying to slay the dragons, sometimes they get you. Yeah. They breathe a little fire and it, it burns you. Yep. And it hurts. Yes. But that hopelessness can be addressed at the individual level. That hopelessness can be something that you can take action on as an individual in your community, in your family, in your church, synagogue, temple, wherever you are. Your rotary club, your... Whatever. whatever, yeah. whatever sense of community that you have. Maybe, maybe you don't have a sense of community, but maybe your community is online. Or you don't have a physical community, but you have an online community. Or you parent a couple of children. I mean, you, you think about where these leadership opportunities show up, and, and I know for me for a lot of years, the idea of me being a leader... I couldn't get my brain around that. Yeah, you... you I wasn't worthy. You, exactly. But if you are a person in a relationship with another person, you have children, possibly, you have workplace colleagues, there is an opportunity for leadership, whether you want it or not. So this, this comes back to another point that we talked about before of willingness. Do you want to just be complacent and allow all of these things outside of our control to continue pouring hopelessness down our throats? Or do we have the willingness to do our part? It's like the vote in a presidential election. So many people skip voting in a presidential election. Yeah, what because, good would it do? Yeah, what's my one vote what's going my, to do? What's my one vote going to do? Right. But what we're starting to experience within this community of financial sobriety is that we're not the only community having this conversation. And the more of these little microcosms of financial sobriety-like communities that are recognizing how important it is, how one of the very basic tenets of this show is the fact that our wealth and our ability to create wealth is directly correlated to our ability to connect with others. And that's a universal truth. That is absolutely a universal truth across every country and continent is this ability to create true wealth in our life. Now, I'm not talking about getting rich, because there are plenty of dictators that got rich off the backs of oppression and misery and death and destruction. I'm talking about true wealth, a feeling of fulfillment financially, personally, and within the community. And as you and I have studied true wealth and the people who have it versus the people who do not have it, the number one indicator of true wealth is the ability to connect with people, period. So the gift in this is that as these different groups of people who are all loosely connected, our group of financial sobriety followers, we can all make a decision, instead of being complacent and just going with the societal norms, we can challenge conventional thinking, we can challenge conventional beliefs, and all of a sudden now, if you believe something that is very different from what I believe, can I just for a minute put myself in your shoes 
and try to see the world through the filters that you see the world. Where did you come from? Where were you born? Who were your biggest influencers in your life in those very, very impressionable young I don't have years? time for that. Give me a break. Of course. Give me a break. Nobody has time for that. Right. That's the complacency that is plaguing our planet. And in our community of financial sobriety, if you're still with us 50-some-odd episodes later, my guess is you want something more than that. So if complacency is your game, push stop on the episode, we're all done, we're good. But if complacency isn't good enough for you, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired— Then let's elevate our leadership muscle. Let's elevate our game. Let's, for just a moment— recognize, just like we talked about with this Palestinian mom and this Israeli mom, is it possible that they both have a truth? There's no way the Palestinian mom's going to convince the Israeli mom of her beliefs. that you guys are the bad guys and you got to stop invading us and let us live freely. And there's no way the Israeli mom is going to convince the Palestinian mom that they're right to abandon her beliefs, Yeah, right? So if we could just all agree— that Democrats and Republicans, Ukrainians and Russians, baseball players and baseball owners, men and women, the different races, we're never going to fully be able to live your experience or live your truth. And we're sure as hell never going to change your truth to match our truth. I mean, can we just all agree that that's the reality that we live in? How can I take a minute to put myself where you are? And try to see the world for just a minute how you see the world. Not so I can change my beliefs or abandon my values, but so that I can understand you as a human being. Because what comes from that in my own personal experience, you and I are financial advisors. We We are? we, We are. When we're not here in the podcast, remember we actually have that job that we go to every day? So we're going to talk about Roth IRAs today and what our favorite stock picks are? I I was thinking we should talk about annuities since the market's all crazy. You know, annuities are a nice alternative. Sure. You want want to do that today? Absolutely. There are probably a few other podcasts you can go listen to. I have no interest in talking about that today. What I've experienced in my office is a vast difference of people who politically are on the left and politically on the right. You and I have done a brilliant job of becoming what we call Switzerland, where it's not that we don't voice our views on the world, but it's very important for us to maintain a position of neutrality so that we could create the most important thing that needs to be created when we're dealing with some of the most important conversations people need to deal with. It's called trust. Yeah. And trust comes from me feeling you, me understanding you, me being able to appreciate why you see the world the way you see the world without trying to change you. No judgment. No judgment. Because if I can do that, then what happens is is you and I begin to trust one another. We're human beings that ultimately in DNA have a lot more in common than we have different. And I'd be willing to bet that if we went around the world, no matter what the color of your skin is, your gender whether you grew up wealthy or poor, whether you're from one country or another, I would bet if we lined 100 people up with all sorts of different backgrounds and went through the greatest problems facing our society today, most of us would be in alignment with that. What we disagree on are the solutions. Right, right, which is where all the fun 
That's where all the quote, war happens. Quote, unquote, unquote, fun happens. That's the war. But what would happen if we could celebrate for just a minute the alignment that we have over the problems that we face in this world today? Could we establish enough trust that perhaps a little bit of compromise could actually come into the room? Because if I trust you, because we're in alignment and we all want the same stuff— i got to have it my way. Well, I'm probably a little okay with not having it fully my way. You are. I'm not. Well, that's where we got to work on the compromise. Right. I'm, I'm just, I'm playing the other side here. I'm playing the devil's advocate on that's where the, the digging in the heels and the trench building sure. happens. Sure. And where so much of it becomes an issue is on you're right and I'm wrong, or I'm, I'm right and you're wrong. Really, that's, that's, um, that's the big part of it. So ask me a question. How many of our clients who've come into the office that have diametrically opposed views to the way I see the world have ever looked at me and said, Matt, you're wrong. How many times has that happened? I don't know. Ask me. How many times has that happened? Zero. Yeah. It's never happened. It's never happened. Because I have no interest in trying to convince a client that my way of viewing the world is the right way to view the world. I would go so far as to say it's not relevant to the conversation of making life decisions about their money. Exactly. It's just not. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. But what happens is, is by being able to understand the way they see the world, even if their eyeballs were on fill-in-the-blank cable news network that has a very slanted political bent towards a certain Belief narrative, system. right? Even with that in the background and watching it for hours and hours and hours and hours a day— because I've reached across and tried to see the world through their eyes and the way they see the world, for some reason, and I don't fully get how this works, right? There, there's something out there that just, this works. It's called empathy. Yeah, there you go. It's called empathy. Because with empathy, you're able to, as we've always said, breathe in another's gas, but not necessarily make it your own. Right. I think the subtlety here is sometimes breathing in the other person's gas and not disagreeing with it. Not having judgment around it. That's what. Not that's, telling them it's wrong. Yeah. That they're entitled to their beliefs. We live in a country with the First Amendment, and they can say whatever they want to say, and they can believe whatever they want to believe and express it. And I don't have to agree with it. And I certainly am not going to react to judgment with it. If only we really believed in the First Amendment. We say we have it, but the reality is, in most situations, if you say something I disagree with, that's going to be problematic. That's True. going to be a problem. True. Right? We, we believe in it, but we don't always honor it. Yeah. We, we can't listen to an opposing belief without having to challenge it or to get angry with it. And this is where some of the things that we talked about in some of the exercises we went through in the last episode can help us with those emotions that bubble up. Because I'll tell you— uh, I've been at the beach most of the time you've been talking. Fantastic. Yeah. How, how's the sand? Well, the waves. It's, it's more oh, about the waves. The waves are coming waves. in and coming out. I've been breathing— because, I mean, th this is all very light, simple, easy listening kind sure. of, you know, you're on 101.7, the easy listening <laughs> channel. <laughs> well, Brought to you by Death, Destruction, and World War. And Hope. You've, you've no, got Hope's on a different channel. Well, this is the channel I'm switching the dial to right now. Because to get this, you've got to want this. You have to want to see the good in other people. I firmly believe that every person is born good. They learn some bad over time, and people can make bad choices and bad decisions. People can make choices and decisions I don't agree with. 
And there are consequences to that. Absolutely. And one of those consequences doesn't have to be me judging them. I mean, brother, in my own marriage, in my own relationships with others, what has caused more heartache and stress in those relationships, at least from my side of the street, my contribution, is when I've not honored somebody's feelings. When I have, quote unquote, disagreed with how you feel, how my wife has felt, how my mom or dad has felt, the people that are closest to me, where I judge or condemn them for their feelings. One of the worst possible things we could ever do in the relationship with people category. Being able to honor your feelings for what they are. Even if I don't see where they come from, let me put myself in your shoes. Because let me tell you something, brother, we're not having this conversation today if in 2005 you I was didn't in a bad, show me that. I was in a bad mood. Oh, you were in a horrible mood, but had I been in a bad mood that day and did wasn't feeling wasn't flexing my empathy muscle, I could have just looked at you and said, "Dude, you're a hot mess." <laughs> yeah, if you were I can't, stuck, I can't help you. If you were stuck in your own head that day and you didn't see how I I, I don't have time for this guy's stuff. I, I yeah, got I mean, so much crap dropping, on my plate. He is dropping an absolute truckload of of garbage in my conference room table, and yeah. I've got to sit here and listen to it? Are you serious? With all the stuff you got on your plate after the 2008 experience and all, you know, well, actually, this was before that, but after the dot-com bubble and all that kind of stuff, and you just started your new firm and you got babies and, yeah, you had a full plate. But what's the one thing you and I have learned about the ultimate paradox of how to get out of our own heads and get out of our own worry and fear and all the stuff building up in our heads. You got to drop into somebody's heart. Exactly. Yeah. That is the singular best piece of advice we can give folks here is when that sense of dread and hopelessness comes over you, what you can do about it is you can go get into somebody else's heart. And it can be as simple as opening up a door for somebody as they go into a store or letting the person who appears to be much more in a hurry in their car than you are let, let them, them go. Make, let them go and, and do whatever they need to do. Yes. Or walking up to your spouse after a long, hard day at work where you're all in your head and asking him or her, how was your day? And meaning it. This is something, and everything we're talking about today, is about taking small steps. This isn't about changing the whole world with one conversation. That's this, the next show. That, yeah, right. right? We'll, we'll do that in episode 60. Th- this is all about Starting simple, starting with your own mindset, making your own choice. It's something we can control. Yes. And in a, in a world that often feels completely out of control. Yeah, we have control. I here. am always craving. I'm always looking at what, what can I do? I can't have any effect on the war with Putin and, and Ukraine. But what can I do in my life, in my community, to show some leadership? It starts with your household. It expands to your workplace. It grows further in your social circles, right? Those situational relationships that we have on the outer bands, right? Let's go back to concentric circles for a minute, the way we map out the people in our lives and the level of relationship we have with them. We've got the 2 a.m. club in the middle. We work within that 2 a.m. club, within our closest people, and we just slowly— And that 2 a.m. club is not just for our newer— members of the community, not the people that you go to the club with at 2 a.m. Right. That, for the purposes of definitions here in the glossary section of the show, are those people in your life 
that you could call at two o'clock in the morning and they would give you $10,000, no if, questions asked. If you needed it. Absolutely. Right? That is a very special list of people. That's where we start. That's where we start practicing this form of leadership, this form of human connection, this form of, of empathy, understanding, trying to see the world just for a minute. Both my boys, 21 and 18. Yeah, because they that's see two, the world differently well, than that, I do. And a, the very important distinction on that 2 a.m. list is, and there's no judgment around why they need the money. Right. <laughs> there you go. Because they probably have made some really bad decision, and it's never happened to me. Those are the people that you can have impact. Absolutely. And it's it's a butterfly effect, right? We all know what the butterfly effect is. We do? Yeah, sure. A butterfly flaps its wings in the Amazon, and next thing you know, there's a tidal wave off the shores of Okinawa. Huh? Yeah. You've never heard of the butterfly effect? I haven't. Really? I'm not, this isn't, you know, ha-ha, I, I haven't. Oh, well, you should absolutely look up. So why don't you up. slow down okay. and pick apart the butterfly effect, Mr. Caterpillar? They made a movie about this. It's it's fairly mainstream concept. Out of Africa? I think they made it out of Hollywood, actually. No, the movie Out of Africa. Right. They made it out of Hollywood. Oh, okay. The butterfly effect. The butterfly effect, in effect, says a butterfly flaps its wings in the Amazon. It creates a disruption in the air that has an exponential effect as that air wave moves out that ultimately results in a huge typhoon somewhere else in the world. And the symbolism behind that is that the little tiny gestures that we have inside this lovely little padded studio could have an impact way out there that we never even get to see or realize. And so if this conversation is like other conversations that are being had in other podcast studios, I mean, you and I consume enough media to know we're not the only ones talking about this. Thank goodness. About human connection and the importance that it plays in curing this cancer called war. But if these conversations continue to trickle up, we may not be able to have an effect on the current Ukraine crisis. But who knows if the conversation we're having today prevents a war 30 years from now that the history books will never have to write about because this conversation is having a butterfly effect that starts right here with you and me and the handful of people that are joining us in the conversation today willing to make changes in their own life and how they connect with other people. Self-leadership. That's the butterfly effect. I love it. That's the gift of being able to create your own reality in times of crisis, in times of chaos, where we can thumb our nose at the conventional way of doing things, and instead of letting our emotions, our feelings, and our thoughts... Hijack hijack the show. Yeah, just sweep us away. These simple little halt. Sane. S-A-I-N. To get S-A-N-E. These little tools. Riding the waves of the sea with our breath. These little tiny tools can have profound effects for generations to come. You know, I can't help myself sometimes. You are saying all of these wonderfully powerful things, and I'm in my own head. And then I'm in my head reminding myself at 8.30 last night that the dishwasher was broken. Mm. And it wasn't draining. And it wasn't draining for the second time. And it was 8.30. I was tired. I'd had 
a stressful day. I'd had an emotional day. Oh, yeah. The family was all, you know, tucked in bed when I came home. I came home from a very interesting basketball game, and I had a choice to make. I could punt repairing the dishwasher another night, or I could suck it up and try to be a little bit of a leader in my family and do something I'm not very good at, because I'm not. I'm not a handy-dandy dude, but God bless YouTube. I didn't need it so much this time because I just did it two nights ago. Yeah, YouTube turns you into Bob the Builder. And what the truckload of dirty dishes in the sink, my choices were to wash them and set them aside so that my wife, who loves a clean kitchen, and that's one of her little confidence builders, that when she starts her day, if the kitchen's clean, we're off to a good start. I know this story sounds trite, but in a very, very overly simplistic way, it's something that I could do in my family last night to lead by example. Yes. Was to push through the resistance of, I'm tired, I deserve the cookie, the brownie, the Easter egg from 1999 that's in the back of the cabinet that this guy's going to find. And then the night-night. And then I'm going to go watch a basketball game, my favorite team, the Warriors, on television, and settle in for a, a lovely winter's night. No, no, no. I got the shop vac. I took all the things apart so that it could be a wet vac. Went back to my little YouTube video to re remind myself not to, to take the seven the sphincter valve and, right. you know, now I, you know, I'm trying to desperately not break the dishwasher. I'm trying to fix it. Well, it's all ball bearings these days. And all of that was running through my head as just the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect of fixing the dishwasher so that the dishes could be clean, the family could start the day off on a little better footing because my wife has a busy day, my kids have a busy day, I have a busy day. We're blessed to have busy days. Full days. Full days. We choose to have full days. Yes, we do. And as silly and as simple as that example sounds, to probably some, it's something that we can do. That's the whole point of this show. This is not about some Pollyanna pipe dream. Of this, curing, of curing of, world peace. Of curing cancer in the form of war and world peace. What I'm saying is, is if we take some personal responsibility— about our actions, not our words, although words can be very powerful. What I'm talking about is how we lead with our actions, how we show people what this looks like. And my experience and your experience, both with your dishwasher situation, I could tell you countless stories about a messy kitchen where old days there would have been a lot of yelling and screaming in my house about this is what you boys need to do to do your part. Instead, they just see the action. The kitchen's dirty. I walk in and I clean it. I don't wait for somebody else to do it. And you know what my boys do now more than they've ever done before? They see a dirty kitchen and they now go clean it. Mind-blowing. Those simple little examples have the butterfly effect that, again, maybe 30 years from now, we do wind up preventing World War IV. And with that, that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today, here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money.
Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.